The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Good morning, and welcome to Mosaic Whittier. Uh, my name is Corey, and I had the privilege to be able to speak to our gathering this morning. And I'm, I'm coming to you now uh, because of a few technical difficulties that we had. And unfortunately, we missed the first few minutes of the service. So I'm just going to give you a summary um, of what we missed, and then we'll go ahead and, and start with the recorded message. Today, we're continuing a series called Unexplainable. Um, this is a series where we've looked at uh, various miracles that Jesus performed in the book of John. And today we come across um, the power that Jesus has over suffering. And suffering is a very real thing to many of us. And I I would even go as far as to say to all of us, uh, suffering is in our face. Uh, We see it on the internet, on the TV, um, in the news all the time, especially in times of war or times of calamity and natural disasters. Uh, so suffering is not something that's new to us. We see it, but um, it, it may not be uh, directly affecting us in, in this way. And, and when we're looking at suffering, we're talking about the suffering of what seems to be innocence, um, not suffering due to uh, choices that we have made, but actually suffering that happens um, for really no apparent reason, something that we really can't explain away as to why that suffering is happening to that individual or to that group of people. Uh, So today we looked at John chapter 9, and I began by reading the first two verses of John chapter 9. John writes, As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. So here today we're, we're looking at the suffering of a man that was actually born into this state. Uh, a man who was blind from birth, therefore he did not know colors as maybe you and I do. Um, he did not know what people look like, what faces look like. He could touch, feel, smell, and try to create an image out of that, but he had really no image to base that on. This is a man who lived in a, a dark and, and lonely world. And, and it's a state that, again, that he was born into. So we beg the question as to why. Um, and, and at this point, what we did was we showed a video that was um, a, a graphic video, um, a very disturbing video in many ways. See, throughout humanity's history, we have come across various points where women, children, and just innocent people have had to suffer for various reasons. Whether it's been the greed and power of a tyrant or a natural disaster, whatever it may be, we've seen these images before of people who, in our minds, don't deserve the state that they're actually in. So we watched this video, and then we returned to John chapter 9, and this time we read verses 1 through 3. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. So there are actually two issues that we need to discuss before we can look at suffering 
and the power that Jesus has over it. And those two issues are one, God, and the second issue is humanity. And at this point now, we'll pick up with the recorded message. If you are someone who calls yourself a Christ follower, a Christian, someone who believes the words that are in this book, then you also believe that we serve a God who is in total, total control. And the word that's used is sovereign. And that means that nothing is outside of the power, influence, or allowance of God. But, but yet there's still suffering and anguish and pain. And, and so we have these two things, a God who's in control and yet suffering. And those two concepts alone don't really pose a problem. Because then you just figure that, okay, well, it's a God who is mean, a God who is full of wrath and vengeance. But then if you believe in this Christ, you also believe that this is the God who is the definition of love, compassion, joy, and peace. And, and that's where the problem enters, is that you have this God who's in complete control, and you also say that this God is good and just and joyful and pleasant, and yet you have people who suffer, innocent people who suffer. So again, we beg the question, why? The second issue has to do with humanity. In Exodus chapter 4, that God called on a man named Moses. And, and he, he, he grabbed Moses and he said, Moses, I'm asking you, I'm pulling you into this situation, into this moment, when you will actually leave a legacy that rings throughout the pages of history. This moment is so big and so powerful, and I've called you to lead it. And what does Moses do? Moses gives all the reasons why God is wrong, why God has picked the wrong person. And God tells Moses, who made man's mouth? See, because Moses, his final excuse was, was God, I can't speak. And, and whether he had a speech impediment, whether he got nervous, no matter what it was, he couldn't speak clearly or communicate clearly. And God says, no, Moses, who made man's mouth? Above and beyond that, who created light? Who creates darkness? Who makes well-being? And who creates calamity? So when we face this issue, we, God is actually telling us, there are moments when I will create situations of suffering and situations of pain and calamity. These are moments that I create. And today we're here to try and find out why he does that. And, and so the second issue is humanity. And, and I don't know, maybe some of you have had parents who said whether they were joking or maybe in a, a very real and hurtful way said that you were a mistake or you were an accident, that you weren't planned. There have been people who have had their soul seared by those words. And I'm here to tell you that they're not true. That every person 
was created by a creator for a purpose and a reason. See, in hearing our story in John 9, we see a man who was born blind. He was born in this way. And, and God is telling us, no, I actually created this man blind for a reason. So once we understand that, that God is sovereign, he is in control of all things, and that no person is a mistake, that every person is the way they are for a reason, then, then we can move on. And I'm going to read it again, John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3 this time, and, and see if the words maybe speak to you a little differently. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. Still something that may be difficult for us to understand. Okay, why me though? Why am I in this state? Why do I have to go through this suffering? And see, at this point, up to this point, this blind man was just the subject of a conversation among the, among the disciples and Jesus. But as the story goes on, Jesus brings the subject of the story. He brings him into it and makes him the focal point of it. And what Jesus does is he spits in his hands and he gets dirt to make clay. And he goes to the blind man and he rubs him on his eyes. And I, I can just picture, we don't know this, but this is me, that, that Jesus gets close to the man and he says, it'll be okay. It's going to be all right. I created you for this moment. And he rubs the clay on his eyes and he tells the man to go and wash in the pool. And we don't know if the man got there with a companion or a friend, or if he just knew the way so well that he could count his steps. But it, the man gets to the pool, and I can just picture him bending over, sticking his hands down into the cold water, cupping the water in his hands, and he begins to bring it to his face. And, and in the story in my mind, I, I can see him pausing at this moment, and, and to think that... All these things must be rushing through his mind. If, if this is true, if this actually works, my life will be changed forever. Nothing will ever be the same. I'm going to be open up to a world that I've never known. I've been in darkness and alone for so long. And, and the excitement and the fear that must have just overwhelmed him. And, and yet he, he brings the water to his eyes and he begins to wash the clay off. And, and in my mind, I picture him standing up, keeping his eyes closed with all these questions running through his mind. And he begins to open his eyes slowly. And the burst of light that he must have seen. And, and I can only imagine that it even hurt for a bit. Seeing all this light for the first time. He's lived in the city for so long. And yet it was such a mystery to him. And all of a sudden he can see the buildings, the dirt roads, the people, 
the faces. And we're told that the man starts going down the street, and, and again, in my mind, I could only picture him maybe even running and jumping. Something that he may never have done before because he was blind. But now he can see what's in front of him. So I picture him just full of joy, running down the street, and then there are some people who see him. Hey, wait, isn't that the beggar? Isn't that the blind man who was born blind? And some said, yes, yes, it is. Others said, no, that can't be him. How can that be him? He was blind. That man just looks like him. And the blind man stops and says, it's me. I was the one who was born blind. And now I can see. So the people, they take him to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And and they bring him before them. And he explains what happened. And, And the Pharisees ask the man, well, who do you think this person was who healed you? And he said, a prophet. And they went on and ridiculed him. They didn't believe the man. So they end up bringing his parents in. And they say, is this your son? And if this is your son, was he born blind? See, they're skeptics. They have a hard time believing. And the parents say, ask him, he's old enough. See, because they don't want to put, be put in a position where they might be kicked out of the synagogue. So the man is there before these religious leaders, and they begin to quarrel amongst themselves, some saying, no, this man is a sinner because he made clay on the Sabbath, something that a rabbi was not allowed to do. See, the the process of spitting in your hands and making a paste out of the dirt was a common process. But the rabbi was not allowed to do that on the Sabbath, which makes me think that's exactly why Jesus did that. And other Pharisees were saying, no, but this was a a good act. He did a good thing. He must be from God. So here you have two camps who are arguing, some saying, no, it's the rules. And others saying, no, it's the actions. It's the rules, it's the actions, the rules, the actions. So finally they turn to the man. They ask him what he's thinking. And it's not going to be up here, but let me read it to you. It's verse 30. Says the man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, he listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they respond by saying, Who are you, beggar, to teach us? So they kick him out. So now now picture this. Here's this this man who has been in this state his whole life, in a world of darkness, and here he has a moment of divine intersection. And he can see, and his life is altered and changed forever, the excitement that must be overwhelming him. And he goes to the people, the one people that in his mind should understand the works of God, the religious leaders. And they throw him out of the synagogue. How confused he must be. But he knows this, that he was blind and now he can see. And and nobody could take that away from him. And so what happens is, Jesus sees that the man is thrown out of the synagogue, and he approaches him. And remember, the man hasn't seen Jesus. 
So Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man responds, show him to me so I can believe. Because I've experienced him and I know he's real. Now show him to me. And Jesus said, it is he who is speaking to you now. Don't you recognize my voice? Don't you know that I'm the man that healed you? And the blind man begins to worship him. Such an amazing story of God taking a situation, a moment of despair, and, and in our minds, maybe even a moment of what seems to be cruel, and changing the life of this man. I'm going to read another passage out of Romans. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, mind you, this is written by the Apostle Paul, a man who at one point inflicted a lot of suffering on other people. But he had his divine intersection with God as well. And after that, he became the recipient of so many suffering and pain and hurt. So this man writes to us speaking from experience. And he says, rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. But God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. To to think that suffering and calamity could actually produce hope, wow. That's that's really not something that we can put together, right? How am I going to find hope when there's so much despair and lack of hope? And in 2 Corinthians... Paul writes again, chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to write, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A, a paradox that is oftentimes difficult for us to understand. And, and the Bible is full of them. He who dies is born. To be poor is to be rich. To be empty is to be filled. And we see these over and over. And I think when we look at suffering and calamity, and we also look at at God as love and compassion and peace, it's almost like two tracks on the railroad. They're both true. They both exist. They both keep the train on the track, but they never intersect. And I think that's what's difficult is sometimes we want everything to intersect and to make sense. And these don't. 
And I, I mentioned on our, our Elements Thursday night that, that Jesus uses the tangible things, the physical things around them. And, and he takes those things and he tells a story. And he uses those things so that people will understand the spiritual side of the story. See, Jesus is always pushing us to the spiritual. What, what we see here and now is only a fraction of what is real. See, and Jesus pushes us to start to think in the spiritual realm. See, we live moment by moment by moment by moment, and then there are no more moments, and there's nothing. But he's pushing us beyond that, that there is more, that there is other. And if, if Jesus does that, when he's telling his stories with objects, with physical things, physical properties, I think maybe often he will do that with our own lives. Is that he will take us in the, the moment that we're in, the situation that we're in, and he will teach us and others a spiritual truth about that moment. Because it goes beyond that moment. It's much bigger than that moment. So Jesus is driving us to think in those terms. And the other interesting thing to note here is that, see, blessing is never in a bubble. Blessing is never put upon one person or given to one person and then it stops there. As we see the, the blind man who is created for this moment, the unexplainable, the mysterious, the miraculous, the movement of God. Not only was, was he blessed, but others around him were as well. As his disciples begin to learn, no, we are actually in darkness. We have no idea what living out life is really supposed to be until we have that divine intersection with Christ. And he opens our eyes and we begin to see clearly. And the, the passions and the ideas and the pursuits that are at our core, those things that we love to do, he's put them there for a reason. And until you begin to see vividly, the possibilities are so dim. But as you intersect with Christ, he opens those up, he opens your eyes, and those passions, those ideas, now begin to flourish. See, so, so it's never, never, ever about just us. It's always about community, relationships. Seeking out and being in that moment where you recognize that you have been put there for a purpose. And, and I'll, I'll close with this, that so often the suffering, calamity, all the war that we are exposed to, it begins to put a callus on our heart. And we begin to think of it as just something that's expected, something that's just a part of life. 
But in actuality, God is telling us, no, these things are real. So that they can be, become moments of grace and power and mercy and hope. See, because if you don't, if you don't believe that, that there's a God out there who is in total control and, and that that God is good and loving, then things that happen just happen for no reason. And then we live in a chaotic universe. And in a chaotic universe, there is no hope. There's nothing to rest your hat on to look forward to. But see, if you start with a God who is in total control, who is love, and yet there is suffering and there's calamity that he, mind you, creates, you can then begin to hope because you know that moment is not the end all. That in that moment, you can actually thrive and you can invest and inject hope into the people around you. It's a difficult concept, I know. And maybe it's something that you will have to experience before you will feel the full weight of it. But, but I tell you this, that we can hope in great things, even in a world that is so hopeless, that we have the opportunity to share with people the idea that life can be great. Because we were created, each one of us, whether you know God, believe in God, whether you had a divine intersecting moment or not, you've all been created. God had an image in his mind before you were even born. And he had an idea of the life that you could live out. And then he gave you the passions and the gifts to be able to live that life out. And it's through connecting with him that we can do that. So I, I encourage each of you to, to be aware of those moments, to seek out those moments, and to thrive in those moments. What a different world we would live in if we can actually turn the suffering and pain that people experience into moments of joy and hope. But it's not easy. But we're never told that it is. So pray with me and we'll have a few announcements. Father, we deal with a difficult subject. Because there may be people in the room now who are experiencing suffering. People now who don't see hope or even meaning. And they can't really wrap their minds around a God who loves them. Father, I pray, I pray that they would be willing to ask if there is a God and that you would reveal your name to them. Because this I know that you most certainly will. And that you are the God who changes lives. The God who invested in us 
before we were ever born. And it's just waiting for us to begin to live that life we were created to live. Father, I thank you for fathers. And and there may be some here who don't have a father, or maybe some that wish they never had a father because of the pain and the turmoil that that person has caused. Lord, I ask you to lift them up and let them know that they have a heavenly father. Someone who is the example of love and encouragement that maybe they never had. That their faith would once again be renewed in the word father. That the negative connotations might fall away. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of the people here today. I pray that you would bless and enrich their lives and that you would bring them into moments of divine intersection, that they would look for it, that they would be aware of it, and that they would thrive in it so that your glory may be on display. And the amazing thing is that when we give you glory and when your glory is on display, you actually shower down glory upon us. That as we work through suffering and pain and we hope on you, that you will actually restore us and once again bring us joy. Father, you are an amazing God, a personal God, one who cares about each individual. And yet, you use those individuals to have great effect on others. We thank you for your love, your compassion, and your willingness to continue to pick us up when we fail and when we fall. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.